Welcome to the Playbook Podcast, the podcast that interviews current and former student athletes. We talk to them about everything, including their time as an athlete, their career paths, and everything in between. My name is Moad Issa, and this week it's just me. No, no Jesse, at least not right now. Jesse joins us later for the interview. She's got a busy life, and she's also getting some fame right now. She was the she was named the recipient of the Ontario Volleyball Association's Scar- Scarborough Sol- Solars. I totally butchered that Scarborough Solars Award. Um, so shout out to Jesse. She's got a bit of fame going around right now, and really, it's cottage season, <laughs> and the weather is amazing. And I don't blame her at all. So you're gonna have to deal with me for the next few minutes. First off. I want to say thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to our first episode with Julie Smith and the first episode last week of the Safe Space podcast with Peyton Shank. We got so much great feedback. Uh, people gave us tips and and shared how much they enjoyed it. Peyton is genuinely one of my favorite people, so to see people supporting her as well is amazing. And it's just, you know, it's good to hear. It's good to hear. Uh, you can catch Peyton in her second episode of Safe Space next week. But for now, we've got a pretty big guest on the Playbook podcast this week. On today's episode, we have Lewis Kent. Lewis is a kinesiology graduate from Western University, and he competed in cross country and track and field for the Mustangs. But now he currently works as a financial advisor with SPM Financial. What's equally as exciting about Lewis is that at one time he held the world record for the beer mile, that grueling sport where you have to chug a beer every lap and run four laps. But we get into all of that. Uh, We talk about his appearance on The Yellen Show uh, and his Brooks running contract that completely changed the landscape for the sport and provided him an opportunity that none of us believed was possible. He also drops some dimes on entrepreneurial advice and dives into what student-athletes can do today to set themselves up to succeed in the future, which is obviously massively beneficial. So real quick, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at TheXPlaybook. And if you're a former or current student-athlete, make sure to join our student-athlete group on LinkedIn. Now, time for our interview with Lewis. Enjoy! All right, we are joined by Lewis Kent from track athlete to beer miler. Lewis Kent is known for having charted a new path for the chugging sport, creating unprecedented partnerships along the way. Lewis's career path clearly illustrates his natural inclination as a business-minded individual, having founded his own business and currently working as a financial advisor for SPM Financial. Thank you for joining us, Lewis. Thanks for having me, guys. Really excited to be here. Really happy to have you. Where, uh, where are you calling from? I'm in London, Ontario right now. So live in London, grew up in Mississauga, moved to London to go to Western and then kind of stuck around. We just came. So like our main point is like just showing athletes like different paths and like leading athletes or letting them hear about other people's journeys so they can somehow path theirs as well. So our first question was just talking about like how you've competed in both track and cross country for a really long time now. Uh, We just wanted to know like about your upbringing in track and like where that all began. Yeah, for sure. Moad will be involved in that story at some point along the way in high school. So, um, yeah, I started out uh, kind of just an athletic kid overall. So could never wait for recess. Love playing like cops and robbers and just any sport that involved running. Um, played hockey and soccer from you know when I first was five, six years old, whenever you start in those sports. Soccer, I kind of gravitated towards like center midfield just because like 
wouldn't say I had the top end skills to, you know, be a striker or anything like that, but I could sure run a lot. So I'd always kind of love being in the middle of the field and being able to run around. And I think it was grade six track was the first time I tried out. And our gym teacher said, Hey Lewis, you know, you're always running around at recess. You seem like you could be a good fit. Why don't you run the 800 and the 1500 at this track meet? Yeah. Grade six started doing that. Then ran throughout high school. Wad and I raced a few times in high school. That's where we got to know one another and then continued through high school, went to Western just because I thought it was a great balance of, you know, education as well as having a, a fun and a competitive track team. So that was a big decision for me there. What most people don't know about you is you're pretty tall and you've just talked about how you've been like, you've dominated in all these sports. How tall are you? Uh, I'm just shy of six, five, six, four and a bit. So, so just a natural athlete, to be honest, like if we're being honest. Yeah, I, I, I quite often think back and almost wish I could, you know, many people probably think this, where if I could have lived, you know, five separate childhoods and pursued basketball and one and volleyball and another, and I genuinely played basketball at the end of elementary school. And the same thing was like, I'm going all in on running and I love basketball, but then I kind of pursued running. So I wish I could have, as with my height, most people say, oh, you're an athlete. Did you play volleyball, basketball? You wouldn't think a cross country runner of all running OUAs and running at those those meets. I was almost always the tallest guy on the line, and probably, you know, just not. Typically, if you think of a middle distance you no know, runner, it's typically on kind of the medium to smaller end, just the way the sport works. But I loved it, and I wouldn't change anything. So, I love that. I love that. So you talked about how you went to Western briefly. I'm like very curious on what was Western like, because I think I, I, I think my experience with just thinking about Western, it has this you think of Ivy, but you also think of the party rep or or homecoming and like these outrageous stories. But like yeah. for you, like what was Western like? For sure. Yeah, honestly, I think my experience there definitely was a blend of having a lot of fun, training hard and academics. Um, you know, I would say I've kind of been able to kind of get through academics in my life in terms of like, you know, I was never at the point not to say I didn't want to try, but you know, I never, I like to put time, my weekly time, I try to look at it and say, what's important to me? What am I going to put time towards? And it was always important to me to kind of be, you know, Dean's list or do quite well. But at the same time, I like to juggle, put in some fun and some practice in there as well, of course. So I'd say overall at Western, we kind of had the saying that, you know, we like to train hard seven days a week. And I have a lot of fun on a Saturday night. That'd be kind of my way to, uh, <laughs> that's cross country and track. It's kind of just been ingrained in the team culture here where, you know, it's kind of accepted at a certain level where, you know, it's just the way we do things. And I honestly think, so my fifth year at Western, I didn't really compete, but I was back for one more year just to try to figure out life overall. And that year our men's team ended up winning OUAs for cross country. Um, and to be honest with you, I truly think it was that culture that helped because eight of us ended up living in the same house, this pretty big old sorority house. Eight of us lived in there. There was 10 bedrooms and, you know, nobody ever missed a Sunday morning long run, even if we we're up till the early hours on Saturday night, because nobody wanted to miss those stories from the night before. And everybody liked right. to rally. whether you were in great shape or awful shape, you always showed up for the run. And I think, uh, Western as a whole, definitely work hard, play hard sort of deal, but you know, yeah, there's definitely lots of athletes that go to Ivy, didn't go to Ivy myself. Um, I don't think it needs to be put up on a pedestal in terms of the academic is definitely great. There's a lot of great programs a great education. But yeah, I think it's great where there wasn't much wasted time. It was either, you know, training, studying or having a whole lot of fun. It's like kind of like your your high school like schedule. It's just like you kind of just kept it crazy even when you went on to Western. Uh, what did you study? 
Uh, I actually did kinesiology at Western. So um, I did a four year kind of honor specialization in kinesiology, so a Bachelor of Arts. Um, yeah, I almost, I was very close. I was one credit away from switching into Ivy. I really had a bit of a change of heart in the middle of second year. And it's funny because I, I needed a sports management course to be able to transfer in and then still graduate in the five year time frame from Ivy. Didn't really want to do a sixth year of school. I kind of was really excited towards the end to just get working and start working towards like actual goals rather than working for grades. So I wasn't really the biggest fan of that. Um, I dropped the sports management course to take uh, a rocks for jocks course with a friend. And that's what cost me in the end where I didn't know at the time I wanted to do that. And a friend's like, Lewis, you can just take that next year. Like, let's do this easy. Oh my goodness. Board. And uh, you know what? Ended up being a blessing in disguise, I think, in the long run. Nice. Um, so you like you talk briefly. This might be an interesting point, actually, about like how like you came back for a fifth year, uh, just to just to try figure things out. I mean, I definitely was trying to do the same thing this year, but it didn't really work out because of COVID. But uh, tell us a little bit about that, because I'm sure that's a spot that a lot of people are gonna be in. For sure, and I think the thing is, is it's kind of like when you're in grade twelve and about to go to university, and you're in fourth year, fifth year university, you're about to go into the real world, and there's so much external pressure that you feel in terms of like, I got to get a job or I got to get into university. I, I have to figure my life out. You know, looking back, I graduated 2016. So it's crazy. It's almost five years ago. And, you know, the world isn't like, it's not just black and white and, you know, you need to get things done right away. I think a bit of fresh air and a bit of a pause sometimes is the best thing that can ever happen. And then I had opened a bunch of different doors where my goal had kind of been going to, was to go to physio school. Um, wasn't like that's just the grades were so so high that i just don't think i was quite capable not that great like solid academic but you really need to be top tier yeah was like you know what i want that door to be open so why don't i come back for the fall and do one semester i really rock all my courses i can probably maybe get into a couple of physio schools plus i was at a point in my life where i'd started my own business in the middle of university um and i really enjoyed working for myself and i think i kind of spoiled myself there where you know, once you work for yourself, it's it's pretty tough to go back to getting orders from someone else and not having full control. Um, so yeah, I came back, was one of the best decisions I've ever made where I only did one semester that fall. Um, and then I just opened as many doors as I could that second semester. So I wasn't in any classes. I was just running full time and then working in the company I'd started up. I like to say to people, if like I talk to a lot of graduating athletes now from the Western team and, you know, open as many doors as you can. And, and don't close any of those doors till you actually finalize something. Like too many people have six options on their plate and then they feel bad stringing people along. It's like, that's not the way to do it. You know, tell everyone you're interested. You have no obligation to tell them that, you know, you're looking at other things. And until you've actually signed a contract and have locked in your one deal, you know, make sure that you keep those doors open. So that fifth year, the second semester, opened every door I could. I had a lot of different opportunities, different cities, different industries. And that's the only way to do it, right? Is here's five different jobs in different industries in different cities. Then I go, okay, well, where do I actually want to be located? What actually interests me the most? And then that's how I kind of got into the wealth management world. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. That's an awesome perspective. I definitely respect that perspective as too, because I've kind of been doing the same thing uh, yeah. this year. But um, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, I think it's what people don't realize is y you have assets in networking and a big part of what you do after you graduate is either maintaining those networks or, or forming new ones and yeah. for a lot of people you're trying to leverage that and we always talk about it on the playbook that 
it's easy to make friends on the court or on the field or or in your sport. That's such a natural thing, and it's so much more awkward to to connect with people outside of it and trying to figure that out. But you're you're completely right. Like, don't close any doors just because it doesn't seem natural to you, or you might not think you're gonna need it. You never know. Yeah, for sure. And I I'd say like two points there is fifth year for athletes. I think it's an amazing thing. Um, if you're a highly competitive athlete probably not like most sports at our level for sure is like you know that's not something you're going to do for the rest of your life so making the most of those years if you're thinking about a fifth year the working world and the professional world will be there 12 months later so if you're a high level athlete or you really enjoy it and it, it's the right fit for a lot of people it's four years you know what you want to do in life and you it's time to move on that's great but if you're really you never want to sit back and say hey i kind of wish i'd done one more year maybe i had more potential to go further in sport you know if you're in your mid twenties, when you graduate, you've got 40 ish years to work on your professional career. You don't want to look back and be like, what if I could have, you know, maybe made that OU 18 or maybe made that U sports, right. anything like that. And I think kind of to your point, Maude, there is like, well, another thing is like, never underestimate the power of like, you know, before COVID or after COVID, it'll be like a quick 30 minute beer, 30 minute coffee with someone or during COVID a 15 minute or 30 minute zoom call, right? Like the number of people out there that, you'd think, oh, I don't want to bother them. Especially if you're talking athletic alumni. Like I've had numerous calls with Western like students and recent graduates and I want to be there to help them. Like I, I wish I'd reached out to more people. And if I've gone through these little speed bumps and things that I could have learned, or if I didn't have to go through those and I talked to someone else to avoid them, I hope to pass that down. So another quick tip there would be, you know, never hesitate. The worst case, you don't hear back from someone or someone says no and it, it's, you're no worse off, right? So. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. I'm going to steal one of Jesse's questions here because <laughs> yeah. um, you kind of brought it up. Uh, you have a history of being an entrepreneur and you kind of talked about how you started your own business, but can yeah. you talk about that ideation process and what that yeah. was like even starting your own business? For sure. So when I was in the middle of university, it was kind of maybe between second, I think it was between my second year and third year. I was hoping to go to physio school, as I kind of told you originally. So I wanted to get some volunteer hours in, but you know, when you're volunteering, you're not having money for rent and for, you know, beers on a Friday or Saturday. So you got to make money. Somehow. So <laughs> I had a ladder at my house and I just started going door to door in my neighborhood. It was a residential one here in London, just saying, Hey, is there any odd job? Like I'm not an electrician. I'm not a plumber. You know, can I clean your windows or can I wash your deck or can I, you know, you maybe got high light bulbs up there. I'm ladder trained. So we're doing that a little bit. And it was just, you know, me with the ladder doing it genuinely shoving it in the back of my car, kind of half hanging out and just driving around the neighborhood doing work. So that's where it started truly. And funny enough, prior to that, I'd say entrepreneurship really kind of got pushed into me with a guy named Joe Kagumba, who you'd know, Maude. he went to Windsor with us and he ran Mississauga track with me in high school. One day he came over to my house in first year of university and it was over Christmas break. And he said, Lewis, like came over, we're hanging out was going to drive him home after and this crazy snowstorm hit my parents said hey joe can you just sleep over tonight because really bad conditions out there joe's like for sure no problem right before we go to bed he goes lewis got a crazy idea do you want to get up at like 5 5 30 and as people are leaving for work tomorrow we'll like offer to shovel their driveway for 20 bucks and like they don't want to do that they're going to pay us for sure it's a big driveway maybe 30 bucks or a small one 15 i was like why not so we throw on snowboarding boots walked out two shovels and we're just walking up and down the streets in my parents neighborhood and as people come out, it was like liquid gold. Like they'd be like, of course, here you go. 20 bucks, they'd drive off. And then we would take care of that driveway and then walk on to the next job. And, you know, it was just the first test of like, wow, like you're working for yourself and you're willing to make things happen. Um, so I can kind of thank Joe for that 
I kind of took that model and then applied it to this business. Interesting. And it just ended up being this kind of home maintenance company is what we ended up calling it. So it's still in, it's called the student maintenance company. It still operates today. We're hiring about 12 full-time students this year, which is awesome for the summer. Wow. Um, I'm not actively involved in managing it. I always believed in, you know, students should learn how to manage and I want them to learn the skills. So we kind of have employees come back every year that are kind of maybe first years come back, second year sort of deal. So got a pretty good system and yeah, it's 90% of our staff are usually the Western track team and they get to learn management skills and it's not something that people are going to do for the rest of their life, right? They don't want to clean windows forever or clean gutters or pressure wash things, but it's good to get fresh air and it really teaches them, Hey, now you're in charge of your whole crew or now you're in charge of the whole company. And I coach the student who's running the whole show. But um, that kind of progressed from me with a ladder knocking on doors to the next summer, I worked with a couple of buddies to the next summer, hiring a few people. And it, it's in a sixth season now as well. So um, that's kind of where that came from. And as I said, part of it, I think was just um, being spoiled from that, from all of a sudden working for myself saying, oh, if I want to take, you know, if I want to work a whole ton, I want to work on the weekends, I can make money. And if I want to take a week off, I can take a week off. I don't need to ask anyone. Um, that kind of translated into how I decide what I do now, because of all these doors, I would have been an employee with most of them. But what I do now, I'm self-employed, kind right. of my own business. So I do work for myself underneath the like brand of SPM Financial. We're a team of 10, but we're all, you know, I like to compare it to almost like, you know, if you go into a medical office and there's 10 doctors under the same clinic, they're all running their own business within that clinic, right? So um, hopefully that answers your question. No, it does. It does. And just... The minute you talked about going door to door, just shoveling one, I'm like my back, that's exhausting. <laughs> um, but then two, does Joe get a share then in the student uh, maintenance company? Good. It's a good question. So it's actually pretty funny. So when we first started going door to door, by the end of the day, I was in snowboard boots. I didn't even have proper winter boots that day. So we went all morning and then we took a break at lunch and we're like, our backs are ruined, our feet are sore. And he's like, come on, let's like, there's gotta be some driveways. He's there. pulling you along. He, he's all in. He's yo, Joe's a grinder. If anyone listening knows Joe, he's a grinder. And he goes, it'll be easy, Lewis. We'll go back out. It's 1 p.m., whatever. We shoveled for four or five hours in the morning. Goes, well, no, because if a driveway's not shoveled yet, we'll just knock on that door. Like, you know, there's more business to be made. I'm like, hey. <laughs> so, and at that time, like for us, like we each made, like call it a few hundred bucks. We probably both made, you know, 250, 300 bucks just because we were grinding so wow. hard that day, which was like, just this, like, this is absolutely incredible, right? Um, So, it's funny because Joe, we started that idea and then it was a year and a half later when I started the actual company. But um, every year, if we have a good year and there's kind of me sitting around, I make sure to take care of Joe for uh, inspiring the whole thing. I love that. That's awesome. Just a nice kickback to the guy. He's just like, yeah, residuals, get him come in. <laughs> yeah, we try to, uh, anytime, anytime I can take care of him, I try to. So let's talk about the beer mile. Um, yeah. I, I know this is a part of your life that I think is not so prominent anymore. And you've talked about a lot of, of the entrepreneurial career and we'll, we'll come back to SPM financial, but yeah, first let's describe what, what is the beer mile? Yeah. So anyone kind of listening in, in terms of the audience, the miles, four laps of the track. So, you know, standard race, you run those four laps without taking any breaks, uh, beer mile, kind of a fun off season event for people. Maybe once the season's over to celebrate, pretty much think of it as you start with a beer in your hand. You can't start running your first lap till you finish that beer. So you drink a beer and you run a lap. You then got to stop, drink your next beer before running your next lap. So in essence, it's four beers and four laps. And that's the magic of the beer mile. And when was the first time you raced your first beer mile? 
it would have been April of 2014. Um, and then an important rule to mention there is if any of the beer comes back up, you got a fifth lap at the end. Oh my Call it the penalty lap, which is a whole lot of fun. And uh, if you've attended one before, you'll know about half the field has to do a penalty lap. So uh, <laughs> first one was April 2014, and I actually ran it uh, in Hamilton. Just a bit of a gathering after the indoor season was done. So the week after what used to be the CIS championships, um, got a bit of a gathering together there. And the idea was, you know what, the person who wins the, you know, the best miler there that day probably is the person who's going to come dead last in the beer mile. And it's almost not an inverse relationship, but it's, you know, the people who probably enjoyed Saturday nights the most are the best at the beer mile. And uh, yeah, ran that one there. And surprisingly enough, I came, I had no expectations. I'd never even heard of the beer mile until a couple weeks before. And I ran 6.11, which I was so happy with. I was like, that is like, that's really better. good. That's way better than I ever thought I could run. And I came fifth. And I was like, how, how, and I looked online the next day or the week leading up. I'm like, you know, if you, if you break six minutes, you're like 50th all time. Like you are one of the greatest ever, but it just happened that in Southwestern Ontario here, we had some pretty, pretty good beer milers going to some other universities. So that's wild. That's so wild to me. I can't even run a six minute mile, like just today, <laughs> but uh, that's insane. I remember watching videos of you training and, and it, it looked like there was a time where you were like, okay, let's take this seriously. I can kind of give a background on that. So I guess it got to a point where that year was April. I ran the 611 and it was kind of like, you know what, you do one for the year and then you meet the next year and you do it again. It wasn't really that big. But a month later, a guy by the name of James Nielsen broke five for the first time in, in America. Like I think it had 3 million YouTube bits within a week. If you've run a mile and drank a beer at some point in your life, you can relate to the beer mile, right? You can be like, well, I've never drank four beers really quick, or I may never have run a mile all out, but geez, someone running under five minutes for doing both. That's crazy. Um, so that happened. And then the beer mall kind of got like legitimate where a lot of people were like, I can do that. You know, this all of a sudden went from, you know, in Hamilton, Ontario at 11 PM, what's this pitch black, being a bunch of hooligans running around a track to like YouTube fame. Right. So it's just, and a bunch of like ESPN jumped on it. It's sports illustrated and it just came into fame. And I was like, you know what? let's do one um, like later that year. So at the end of that season, it's actually like some of my PBs were run that year. I was probably in about 15 seconds better shape for the mile than I was in April. Cause that was the end of the season had taken some time off in August that year. I was definitely 15 seconds better shape for the 1500 and I ran a 630. So I ran 18 seconds slower because that I trained pretty hard that year. I was in great shape, but I hadn't been, you know, I was at home. I wasn't at Western that time. So the drinking shape wasn't great. Um, so it's just funny how those two go. And long story short, that year, FlowTrack decided to host the world championships in the fall. They said, you know, 540 is going to be the cutoff for us to kind of fly down to Texas and be top 10 in the world. And an engineering roommate of mine, um, he looked at it and saw me watching a video. He's like, why don't you do one? Like, let's go do one for fun right now. I said, sure. And he said, you know what? Your running's fine. Like you're running as fast as these guys who are running 520 and 525. It's just your third and fourth beers are taking you like almost a full minute. So no wonder you're, you know, 30, 40 seconds back. So he helped me, the engineering mind in him. I don't have that mind, but he's like, well, why don't we try this and try that? And we just did all these random funky things to train that there was no proof behind it. It was just a lot of entertaining fun. And, you know, it seemed to work. And I ended up qualifying for that world championship that year by running what did I run? Somewhere in the 520s to qualify. So. Wow. What you haven't mentioned, though, is that you did run the world record. And can you tell us a little bit about what that moment was like? For sure. So that kind of left me hungry where I went to that first world championships. I qualified. I think it was ninth or something like that. Just barely squeezed in. 
I finished fifth and I was like, wow, like I didn't even have a great run. I finished fifth. Like, I think I could really like medal or maybe win this thing one day. And it kind of came into fame. And I was like, you know, I'll keep training. And that eight months later, I ended up, you know, going out before another big one that was happening in San Francisco two weeks in advance. And I was like, you know what? At that time, I'd run 504. The world record was at 456 at the time. I'm, you know, in the beer mile, there's such a big margin of error. In running, you know, you can hit lactic and blow up. But in the beer mile, it's like the legs got to be good. The lungs got to be good. The stomach has to be good. So I knew I was within striking distance of maybe winning this big championship. So two weeks out, said, let's go to the track. Let's get this thing done. And, and I gave her all I had. And I broke the world record by uh, a second. And I was actually, I think it was 0.76 that I got it by. And you cross the line and someone goes, Lewis, you did it. But I just didn't want to take at first. I didn't believe it. Cause I'm like, I need to watch that video and make sure like if we're within a second here, you could be wrong. As soon as we knew that happened, to be honest with you, celebrating beer miles is probably the best thing in the world because you know, you finish the race 15 minutes later, you start feeling a bit of the effects and you feel pretty good. You got the runners high mixed in. With <laughs> and uh, It's a pretty on, I can only say you feel on top of the world. And I won the world record there, went on to win that international beer mile two weeks later. And then later that year, went on to win that flow track world championships in another beer mile enough or in another world record. And that was kind of like the peak of, you know, that was a pretty crazy 24 hours where the day before I'd been on Ellen and then that day I won the world championships and it was a pretty wild, wild 24 hours for sure. You did something that a lot of runners and just athletes kind of covet. You were able to sign a pro contract with Brooks, right? Yeah. And it was amazing. I mean, I got a lot of credit to pass out to a man by the name of Chris McCashew. He, uh, you know, he was a huge track and field uh, agent for a very long time. Um, used to represent about, I think, about 30 sprinters across the world in terms of track. Um, you know, top athletes of his would be like Kaylee Humphreys, like the bobsled athlete. He represented her for a long time, I know. Um, like Charles Philbert Thibodeau, still to this day. I know he still helps him out. He has moved on now. Is actually a pretty cool role. He's a director of partnerships for the company that works for the Montreal Canadiens. So he like negotiates all the deals for the Montreal Canadiens, which is pretty cool. But um, obviously a pretty go-getter guy. He'd heard my name through the grapevine. I'd set this world record. Got a call from him out of nowhere one day and said, hey, this person's passed my name to this person. And when I hit the world record, people were like, Lewis, like, how do you not have a sponsor? And I was like, if you can get someone who will give me one free pair of shoes, I will I will sell my soul. Like, I, I can get a free case of beer sign me up like I, I i'm a student at this point right so i'm like anything helps like he calls me up and just says give me a bit of a background whatever talk to him for 10 minutes and he said okay you've passed and i'm like what do you mean i thought this was just a kind of introductory call he goes i only really like to work with people that i really vibe with and get along with well so you know what shoes do you like and what do you typically run in i said whatever's in the clearance aisle uh, <laughs> i didn't have loyalty to one brand or another and he had a beer glass sitting in front of him that, you know, it said is run happy to live longer. And it's just kind of like a finish line at the bottom. And Brooks just made more sense. You know, the Nikes, the Pumas, the Adidas of the world. If you watch their commercials, it's like extreme elite athletes, you know, extreme discipline. They'd never include something that's related to lifestyle or, you know, out enjoying yourself. It's more really hardcore, I find. And Brooks is a much more of a lifestyle brand where it's, hey, running's part of your life and you want to enjoy life and you want to enjoy running. And the branding just made sense and a week after he gave me that call i met with the team at brooks canada and they said here you go let's let's get something going so that's so yeah. cool um so something that Mwad and i are both absolutely so interested in is the fact that you got to go on the ellen show which we believe is the absolute pinnacle of fame so can you tell us a little bit about that yeah for sure so once again gotta give a lot of credit to chris there so 
the stages of this is, you know, signed with Brooks. I actually signed with Brooks in September. At this time, I had the world record. This is that fall where, you know, I took the world record. I won an international race in San Francisco. And then December was going to be the flow track championships again. So that's September. Sat down with Brooks, had the world record. And they said, you know what, let's do this deal. But we're not going to announce it until a couple of weeks before flow track because there's not a lot of hype right now, right? You'd rather do it, you know, a week or two out, gets big media. So that happened, which was great. I'm training away, running my cross country season, nothing better. And then Corey Gallagher, who's the guy who won the first championship, posts online one day and says, world record back. And he had taken my world record. And it was October, I think, of that year, late October. And I'm like, call Chris. And I'm like, oh, God, like, Brooks signed me because I'm the world record holder. I don't have that anymore. Like, can they take away my contract? Like, what's going to happen here? Um, and he goes, no, no, no. Don't you worry about that. Like, you're good to go. Like, you've got this big race coming up. Just go go kick this guy's ass and you'll be fine. I hadn't done a beer mile since that one in August. So it's coming up in November. I hadn't touched one since August. Did one two weeks out. Managed to get the world record back. So beat Corey's time by wow. a second. Chris calls me and goes, this is absolute gold. And he calls up a guy who was at the time was one of the big four ESPN anchors for NFL. And the guy's name is Darren Ravel, a pretty big sports, uh, you know, media guy. And he loved posting when like a new uh, NBA player got a shoe made after him or like cool stats about, you know, baseball cards and just the kind of go-to guy for information. So he loved being the first one to break news. So he called him and said, Hey, I've got this story really unique it's gonna blow up all across the world this is chris to darren do you want to be the one to break it if you're going to be the one to break it you got to put it on the espn homepage. you've got to blow this thing up like all over your social media i'll give it to you if you'll do that if not we can take it elsewhere and darren said perfect so i had a quick call with him for half an hour he drafted it up and that came out and i think the title of it was something like you know college student runs and drinks his way to pro contract or something like there's really great journalism to be honest <laughs> that one like the espn website that it was like five thousand or ten thousand like some crazy amount of shares that got out there and from that day which was two weeks before the world championship uh i think that week i did something like 38 interviews and media things in one week wow. which was just like Chris just had a Google document. He said, put in your class schedule in here and I'm just going to schedule things around it. And it was like, get up at seven, do a quick radio show for 15 minutes, go into class for an hour. Maybe you have to leave class to take one. It was just like absolute lunacy. And to get finally back to the question in the middle of all that crazy, ESPN launches it. It's going on like total frat move and mashable and sports illustrated and any kind of major media outlet you can think of is just regurgitating the story or calling and getting their own information from me. Um, in the middle of it, Chris tweets out, he's just the master of Twitter, Chris himself. And he he just shoots his shot. At the end of the day, he goes, you know, I'm going to tweet this at that person. And if they never reply, who cares? If they do, that's awesome. So he tweeted one out being like, who wants him? He's ready for a you know, live audience show. And he tweets it out like Jimmy Fallon, Saturday Night Live, James Corden, Ellen. Like he posted it and just tagged a bunch of people. And one of the producers responded to him and said, hey, no, Lewis isn't coming on the show. Nothing like that. We'll do an article though for our website. And that would be awesome. I'm like, that's freaking amazing. It's just going to be on their website. And right. That, that might be part of the process. And it went on there. I guess it got good traction. So the producer calls back two days later. Hey, um, you're not guaranteed to get on the show. We just want to vet you a little bit further and kind of put you in a pool of candidates to potentially come on. And I'm not joking you at this point. This is like just dream come true situation. You know, Ellen calling is just like, icing on the cake i have no expectations like at that point things are so good that it's like i don't 
it's not that I don't care. This would be amazing. But at the same time, so I'm about to go on this call and Chris says, hey, Lewis, you know, we've just got to, you know, I can tell the story now because we're so far out from it. And I think it's okay. But he goes, you're just going to have to put a little bit of pressure on the producer. And I said, what do you mean? He said, she's going to ask you a bunch of questions. And at the end, she'll probably say, you know, do you have any questions for me? He said, when you do, and he did all of his research on all the competitors and said, just let them know that you'd kind of like to hear back in the next day or two, because you've actually been asked to go on all these other shows. And um, it's a bit of a fake it till you make it story. But I mean, uh, I said that and it was like the tables turned and she's like, very strategic. I'll let you know by tomorrow at 10 a.m. Like, I'll call you either way tomorrow at 10. It was just like, and I I truly don't think if he didn't say to do that, we'd end up on the show. And uh, the next morning, genuinely, we'll never forget it. I'm sitting at the kitchen table with my roommates at the time. We're playing Settlers of Catan, just having a, <laughs> oh, a Friday, maybe a Saturday. And uh, I occasionally would genuinely put headphones in and I was doing interviews so frequently. I'd play games of Settlers of Catan or Euchre and I'd just be playing mute. Like I'd just be, oh yeah, like here's the answer to your question and just continue my life and got a call and it was Chris and he goes, Ex- explicitive word, we're going to LA. So <laughs> oh, that's my kind of... I know I went pretty in depth there, but that was kind of the craziness of those uh, couple months there. Oh, that's unreal! Wow. Yeah. Um, that that whole beer mile life, I guess it's kind of um, you've kind of transitioned out of it a bit, and now you work as a financial advisor for SPM Financial, correct? Yeah. So we're kind of we're two firms under that kind of same hood. So in a quick term, SPM Financial, we work with individuals on their financial planning. So their wealth management, their investing, their retirement planning. I'm a CFP. So I actually just passed that in November. You need four years of industry experience and kind of to go, I think it was probably the end of the day, it was a lot. It's probably the equivalent of two years of university credits um, that I did across kind of two years while uh, working full-time. So I'm a CFP, so a certified financial planner, but yeah, I'm an associate advisor there. So you kind of have, you know, associates and then partners. So the partners own the whole place. So working my way up there and yeah it's uh it's awesome i'm hopefully you guys can get it here i'm a people person i love meeting new people love engaging and just it it's almost like every client is a bit of a puzzle where it's like hey where are you at right now where do you want to be financially and i'm going to help you get there with different solutions so i i love it and yeah it's something that i really i enjoy working for myself there's equivalent you know advisors at a bank for example but you at the bank you get paid a salary you sit there and whoever walks in the door you deal with on our end it's the opposite where you don't have anyone to meet with. So you better go out there and meet people and kind of bring people in. And uh, a specialty I've kind of been working into is medical professionals. So I'm actually working a, a lot with medical students. You know, they take on a lot of debt to get to where they get to. So helping them through that, they're all extremely intelligent people, but the Canadian system's pretty bad. So a lot of them feel pretty financially illiterate for how educated they are on other parts. So yeah, lots of medical professionals, residents, young doctors is that. And then with business owners are kind of the two pools, but yeah, I work with a lot of friends and just anybody in general who's kind of looking for some help. And I love it because it's just it, whatever you put in, you get out. So, you know, if you're not, if you're being lazy and you're not working hard, then, you know, you need money to pay your rent, your mortgage or put food on the table. And I think it's it's great that, you know, once COVID's over, I definitely plan on taking a lot of time off and go on some vacations and may as well do double the hard work now so that we can enjoy double the amount of enjoyment later. I think this brings us to the end of our interview here. Um, where can the people find you? And do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah, that's all good. So yeah, um, so I'm Lewis.Kent, which is, I'm sure the name will be in there, but L-E-W-I-S.Kent uh, on Instagram. Um, yeah, that's kind of where you can find me. I'm on Twitter at Lewis Kent Myler as well. Not super active there, but 
nothing really to plug. I think, you know, anyone tuning in here, you know, just uh, take life as it comes. And the biggest thing is, you know, everything happens for a reason. So the one thing I didn't really harp on there is just, you know, had to kind of transition away from the beer mile and running competitively just to a few injuries. And you know what, out of that, I was able to pour all my time and effort into my career now, and I'm really enjoying that. So everything happens for a reason in the moment. It's really easy to feel down. And I was quite upset and disappointed for the first year when I couldn't run because I was in really good shape and thought, you know, I've got so much more to give, but maybe didn't quite reach my full potential there, but I was able to kind of leapfrog into what I'm doing now. And I'm so grateful that I've been able to put time and effort into that. So nothing really to, to plug, but if anyone ever does want to reach out, definitely like you can just DM me on Instagram, find me online somewhere. My email, one of my many emails for my different businesses is they're all out there. So feel free to reach out. Always glad to have a quick chat with anybody that has any questions for sure. You can't miss him. He's a verified account on Instagram. And I think that's important to note. So if you're looking for Lewis, look for the blue tick. Thank you so much for your time, Lewis. I think so many people are going to benefit from your experiences, but also your advice on setting yourself up to succeed and even just being an entrepreneur. So, so thank you. We really appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thanks so much, uh, Justin Watt. I really appreciate you having me on the show and uh, all the best. Well, that was our interview with Lewis Kent. Thank you for listening if you've made it this far. If you love this interview, make sure you leave us a review. And subscribe to our channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to check us out on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Um, our handles are at PX Playbook. Now, our episodes run bi-weekly, like I always say. So we'll see you in two weeks. Take care.